broken promises, fallen words, unfinished plans, unfulfilled dreams. In different ways and degrees, we all have experienced disappointment in our lives, haven't we? We have all experienced an unmet expectation or a reality falling short of the promise. It starts from childhood and it becomes a common experience. And perhaps you arrived here today saddened, discouraged, disheartened, depressed, or even feeling hopeless with a circumstance in your life. You see, I come from a country that is known to be one of the most pessimistic, skeptical, and cynical in the world. There are surely many reasons for it, but one of them is that people do not trust each other's words. When you have been lied to repeatedly, it is easy for you to become callous, to disbelieve, to be suspicious of words. And it is true, we do live in a broken world where truth has become relative and malleable, where it is difficult to discern what to believe. For Christians, living in a broken world is a challenge. Our experience with broken promises coupled with suffering and with trial leads us to be tempted to doubt God's own words. So we need to be reminded that God's words are true and that His promises will be fulfilled. Even if in the midst of our circumstances we tend to doubt them. So let us open our Bibles and let us be encouraged by God's words. Please open your Bibles in the book of Joshua, chapter 21. And we will read from verses 43 to 45. Joshua 21, 43 to 45. Before we read God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, the people that You have redeemed has come together to worship You. Not only in this place, but all around the world. We come because You have given us this day to worship and to rest. You have given this day so that we can come together and as your people we might praise your name. We come also together to hear from you. Not words of man, but to hear from your word. We have already read your word and sang your word and prayed your word. And now that your word is going to be preached, oh Father, open our eyes so that we might understand it, but also to believe it. 
and we start by a confession is that we are prone sometimes to distrust your words. Would you forgive us, Father? And at the same time, through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we might grow in understanding who you are and in entrusting your words. It is in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45. Thus, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Let's just start to put this book in context of the whole scripture. If you remember, the Lord had delivered His people, Israel from the land of Egypt where they stayed enslaved for 400 years. The Lord had led them to the desert and because of their unbelief, they had stayed wandering in the desert for 40 years. And now they are on the east side of the river Jordan, ready to come to the land that God had promised them. The book starts by saying that their great leader Moses is dead. Now they have a new leader, Joshua, and here they stand to take possession of the land. The verses that we read come by the end of the book, by the end of this story, after they, in three simple stages, we are led through the book of Joshua while they cross the river, they conquer the land, and then they divide the land among the tribes of Israel. And these verses are kind of the summary and the conclusion of all the story of the book so far. So follow with me if you see the verses that we just read. First, verse 43. If you follow from chapters 13 to 21, you see that after they conquer all the land, they divide it among the tribes of Israel. And so we have the conclusion on verse 43. Thus... Yahweh, or the Lord, remember that every time you see in many of your translations, you will see Lord with all caps. It refers to God's covenantal name. The, God, the name that He revealed to Moses on the mountain. I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. So it is this name that it refers to when you see Lord all caps in your Bibles. So it says that thus Yahweh, this one true and personal God, this God that made a covenant with them, this God that had promised to Abraham 400 years before, this God, Yahweh, gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. But if you read then verse 44, 
it refers to what came before chap chapters 1 to 12 because before they take possession of the land they need to conquer the land so verse 44 summarizes and concludes this and Yahweh gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers not one of all their enemies had withstood them for Yahweh had given all their enemies into their hands you see let's start by making this note that the book of Joshua is not merely written to record the events about a people and their leader and how they were successful, though it surely does. But more than a people and their leader, the book of Joshua is about their God. In the book of Joshua, we learn about a God who is with and for his people, whose words are true, and who fulfills all his promises. So do not get distracted as you read scripture. Because first and foremost it teaches us about who God is. Because many times as we read scripture. We are distracted as many times we are tempted to be distracted in our lives. Isn't it true? We are so distracted with the circumstances of our lives. With the things that we have to do. That sometimes we miss the most important. And in the book of Joshua, the most important is who God is and what he did for his people. And so the conclusion of the book, we read on verse 45. Not one word of all the good promises that Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. You see the focus? The focus is on God and what he did. Not so much praising Joshua or the people. Because in the end, the book is about God. And history is about God. Believers of all ages have been encouraged by these words. By the certainty that what God says, He accomplishes. What God promises, He fulfills. You might be in your life today. And you might be tempted to be suspicious because you have been lied to too many times. But God's words continue to be true. God continues to be faithful. Let us focus in what is most important. So today I would invite you to ponder upon the promises of God in which we stand. In three simple steps. One, we will see what is a promise. Asking the question, what is a promise? Then number two, we will look at a battle in our hearts. And number three, an exhortation. Trust in God's promises. Number one, what is a promise? Number two, a battle in our hearts. And number three, trust in God's promises. Let's start by asking this question then. What is a promise? I think it's something that we wrestle with. Because a promise in itself contains a tension. A tension between what is promised and what it is. Let's start with a quick definition. A promise, according to the dictionary, is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. 
So when you promise something to someone, you are giving your word that you will fulfill it. Right? A promise always looks forward, but it is something that is incomplete in the present. So a promise is not the fulfillment. And we must dis distinguish these two realities. A promise is not the fulfillment. As we read in Joshua 21, 43 to 45, we must remember that there is always a temporal gap between the promise and the fulfillment. To believe in a promise, the promise must be credible, we must trust in it, and we must be patient. Concerning the promise of a land, we see that what we read in Joshua 21 is actually the fulfillment of a promise that had been given more than 400 years before to Abraham. Do you remember that? If you read in Genesis 12, 15, 17 and read Abraham's history, it was a promise, a promise of a land, of a great nation, had been given more than four centuries before. We are reading now the fulfillment. But there is a gap, isn't it? between what was promised to Abraham and now then what was fulfilled in the times of Joshua. You see, Abraham received part of God's promises. His son Isaac was a fulfillment of part of those promises. However, he did not receive any part of the land apart from the place where he buried Sarah, his wife, in which he paid with his own money. You see, he never saw with his own eyes the multitude that left Egypt and entered and took possession of the promised land, did he? He received part of God's promises. He did believe in God's promises, but he did not receive the full extent of God's promises while he was alive. But he believed in the promises as if they were already fulfilled. That's what faith is is to believe in God's promises as if they were already been fulfilled. As if we were already in full possession of them. Abraham lived on the basis of the promises of God. He left his country. He left his family. Because he believed that what God promises, he fulfills. But if you remember, even in Abraham's life, he did live that tension, didn't he? Didn't he struggle with his own faith? Didn't he many times ask God what was his plan and what was going on? But he still believed. So first, we must never forget what a promise is. A promise looks forward, but it is something incomplete in the present. You see, even when Joshua, when we start to read the book of Joshua, remember... That we are reading now chapter 21, but between chapter 1 and 21, there is a gap. There is a moment when Joshua is still standing on the east side of the Jordan, looking to the promised land. He is still seeing the enemies on the other side. He is still seeing the fortified cities. He is still seeing the challenges. As he is encouraged to believe in God's promises. That what he would experience in chapter 21. Would be a reality. Not because he was good. But because God was powerful and faithful. 
So brothers and sisters, Joshua 21, 43 to 45, celebrates the fulfillment of God's promises to the people of Israel. But for Joshua and the people to receive such promises, they have to believe those promises as if they were already a reality when they were not yet in full possession of them. Do you understand that, brothers and, and sisters? We must embrace this tension. There is a tension between what God promised and what we are still experiencing. And we are called to trust in God's promises as if, they, as if we were already in full possession of those promises. So as Christians, we also live like Joshua, by faith and in hope. But remember God's own words in Romans 8 about hope. When it says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We believe not because we see. We believe not because we are in full possession of God's promises because we aren't yet. But we believe because God is trustworthy. We believe because God's words are true. That's the reason why we hope. We hope even though we are not yet in full possession of God's promises. Which leads us to point number two. A battle in our hearts. Because there is this tension. There is the tension of God's promises in our own experience in this world. That we are not yet in full possession of those. That we live by hope in the certainty that God's promises are true and God is faithful. But the fact that in this world, we are still not in full possession of those. So Joshua 21, 43 to 45. And now I will invite you to look to the text again. It brings to remembrance the fulfillment of the promises of God. And it's very interesting because these promises with different words, but they are mentioned in every single verse, 43, 45, 44, and 45, as kind of marking a rhythm in order to make sure that what God promised in every single way, He fulfilled. And at the same time, note the emphasis given to the extent of the fulfillment of God's promises. Did you realize that in just three verses, we have the repetition of a word, all, six times. In order to reinforce this idea, see verse 43. It speaks about all the land. Verse 44, on every side. This is the same word in the original. Then twice we read, all the enemies. Verse 45, all the good promises. And finally, all came to pass. You see, if we were in Sunday school, we would teach the children the main truth or idea and make them repeat it. God is faithful. God always keeps His promises. God is faithful. God always keeps His promises. And we make them repeat it over and over again so that they might put it in their minds 
And this truth seems basic, doesn't it? Who among Christians would not be ready to affirm these words? God is faithful. God always keeps His promises. It is a truth that a six-year-old child can understand. You see, if daddy promises an ice cream after lunch, a child knows what it means, doesn't it? Daddy, you promised. A promise is an easy concept to grasp. Because we relate with one another. We make promises constantly. Even a young child knows what a promise is and can understand and learn that God is faithful. God always keeps His promises. But dear brothers and sisters, we have to be reminded this truth over and over again. Because although we understand it and understand the concept in our minds, we are still prone to distrust it at every turn in our lives. We are still creatures of disbelief, of distrust. The truth concerning God's faithfulness is always at war with our hearts. Remember even with our first fathers. How were they tempted? How did Satan tempted Adam and Eve? Weren't they tempted to distrust God's words? Did God really say? It is the same with us. We are tempted at every single day to distrust God's words and God's promises. So although it is a truth that a child can understand, it is a truth that is constantly at war in our hearts. Let me give you three common but different examples which lead Christians to question God's promises. Three S's for you. Suffering, success, and sin. These three things are always and in different ways, with different, in different ways in our lives. But these are common ways in which we are tempted to distrust God's words. Suffering, success, and sin. Let's start with suffering, which is one of the consequences of sin. You see, suffering in itself is a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. We do not like to suffer. We flee from suffering. However, what did Jesus promise His disciples? We read in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It is a truth that we tend to forget. Isn't it true? Especially when we are in pain and struggle. But let me say, this is a common experience and struggle for Christians throughout ages. Remember that not long after Jesus had ascended, the Apostle Peter had to remind believers of this truth. When he said in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And let me even give a quick note here, because we usually we think about this suffering as just persecution from non-Christians upon Christians. 
But remember, we are in a spiritual battle. Satan is after you. And Satan will tempt you with suffering. It's not just visible human persecution. It's also a spiritual battle. Because Satan is after us and after our faith. Do not be surprised at that. Says the Apostle Peter. And the Apostle Paul says to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, some of us in disbelief cannot even understand the concept. But it was and it continues to be lived by true Christians all around the world. Remember when the apostles started to be persecuted for their faith? We read in Acts 5.41. And I'm just mentioning all these texts so that you understand how prevalent this teaching is in Scripture. So that we understand, one, that it is a common struggle among Christians. And at the same time, a common exhortation. So we read in Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. For them, suffering and persecution were signs of their salvation and their union with Christ. In this, we still have much to learn so that we might together affirm with Paul, Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that it is to be revealed to us. Do you see the tension, brothers and sisters? We need to embrace it. There is a promise. But in this present time, there is suffering. In the hope that suffering will be gone. But suffering is a common reality among us in this world. Number two, success. Jesus promised Christians to be Preparing a place for us. You see the promised land was not, is not exclusive to the people of God in the Old Testament. But we have better promises that we will live with Him. A land where we will enjoy perfect fellowship with Christ for all eternity. So Jesus said to His disciples. This, his fearful disciples. His disciples that were prone to disbelief. His disciples that were going to see his master being crucified. And that would wonder. And Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. I will will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be also. You see, this is the promise. Many times what happens is that success distracts us. As if our hope and our desires and our end were in this world. And Jesus knew this. Our Lord knew this. That's why He exhorted us concerning this. That we are looking for a city. A city that will not vanish. A city that that will not rust 
A city that will be eternal. But many times we struggle because we want to take hold of eternity now. So Jesus had exhorted us in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brothers and sisters, let us confess. Isn't this one of the greatest sins of Western Christianity? Isn't it true that we are constantly being tempted to believe in our own success and prosperity in this world? Brothers and sisters, we do not live for this world. We hope for the time when our Lord will return. We believe that He has a place for us. And it is for that place that we live for. So suffering, success, but also sin. Listen to these words of promise. 1 John 1.9 That perhaps many of you here know by memory. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me just start by a word if you're not a Christian here today. These words are true. There is a God. You are accountable to Him. And that there is nothing that you can do to reach His pattern. You sin. All of us do. We all fall short of the glory of God because we all fall short to fulfill all His law. And we are accountable to Him, either we recognize it or not. But do you realize what great promise and assurance Christians have? It is because God is holy and is just, but He is also a loving and forgiving God. So this is the promise. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now I ask you, Christian, do you believe in these words? You see, some might think that it is easy to believe in these words. But let me tell you, even to my own surprise throughout the years, many times Christians are not able to rest in God's promises. Because they still cannot believe that their sins have been fully forgiven. Especially when we are wrestling with our sins. We tend to doubt God's love for us. How can God love me after I sin so many times and over and over again? And this promise comes to us. There are words also of exhortation to you if you might be here struggling with your sin. A burden that many times is too difficult to bear. People that live with a constant burden 
because of their sins. They cannot worship with full joy because they are burdened. But if you are a true believer, and I speak here for Christians only, those who have repented and put their trust in Christ, let me tell you, your sins are fully forgiven. You might not feel it now, but if you're a Christian, Christ is for you. That's why we sing, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's why Paul at some point needs to tell Christians, do you know who can accuse you? <laughs> if Christ Himself gave His own life for you, what will He not do for you? If the Father gave His Son to die on that cross for your sins, do you think that He would just abandon you to your sin? No, Christian, trust and trust in God's promises. Trust that even in your sin, that the Lord forgives. So brothers and sisters, we need to be called, even in the midst of our suffering, of our success, of our sin. Point number three, trust in God's promises. Christian, trust in God's promises. You see, many times we might wonder, especially as we wrestle in this life, and we go up and down with our difficulties, is there any hope for us? In our daily struggles against sin, there is only one answer. Christian, do not look to yourself. Look only to the one that is able to do the things that you are not. And that is your Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words that the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Listen, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him, Him, Jesus. That is why, this is the reason. The reason is not your performance. The reason is not how good you are. The reason is, this is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. Do you understand that? The Christian faith is not an exhortation or call for you to be perfect. It is actually the opposite. It is preaching and saying there is nothing that you can do on your own so that God might accept you. So God acted on your behalf. God made all those promises not because He believed that you could do it, but because He knew that He would send His Son to do what you and I couldn't do it. So believe in that, brothers and sisters. We say, Amen, which is a word of confirmation, meaning that we truly believe in the promises of God because of Christ, not because of us. I would invite you to open your Bibles to go to Hebrews. And we will read two passages there. The first one in Hebrews chapter 12. 
And as you open it, in Hebrews chapter 11, is known as the chapter of the heroes of faith, right? Do you remember all the list of the names of, of believers in the Old Testament? So that it teaches and serves as an example to us. But then read the exhortation that comes right after that chapter in the first two verses of chapter 12. Read it with me. Let's go slow. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so these witnesses are all the believers of the Old Testament that were registered in chapter 11. And I would say, of course, it includes Abraham and Joshua. So since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so we are not alone in our struggle of faith. We are not alone in this life of faith. We are not alone in this life of hope. So since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you would only read this verse, you might think that the Christian faith was a legalistic faith. Meaning, you need to behave, you need to be good, you need to be perfect, you need to go on this race, pull up your bootstraps, and do it. But the exhortation does not end here, does it? We have verse 2. So we are exhorted, let us run this race. Remember, you have a lot of examples of the past, of people that lived by faith. Follow their example. Run. But then it says this, it tells us how. See verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So the text is not saying you need to be good boys and girls and make it with your own strengths. But run! Because the same God that sustained the believers in the Old Testament is the same God that is sustaining you. Look to your Lord because He was the one giving you faith and He is the one that will make sure that your faith will be firm to the end. So look to Him. Run. Don't stay still. But run because you have the assurance that your Lord who accomplished all for you is for you. He is interceding for you. He will make sure that you finish the race well and strong. So look to Him, the founder and perfecter of your faith who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and He seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He already did it. What you are called to do, He already accomplished it. Do you realize what the text implicitly says? Is that the Lord Jesus also lived by faith. He was not yet in full possession of God's promises. Let's read the text again. It says that looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
Now, how did he make it? He make it be- because he believed in the Father. See what it says. Who? For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And then he was glorified on high. The Father had promised him joy. And Jesus believed it. So to the one who suffers... Jesus brings comfort and says, John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. To the one who seeks treasures in this world, Jesus brings correction and says, Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he he cannot be my disciple. To the one who carries the heaviness of sin, Jesus compassionately calls in Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You see Jesus is saying all these things because he accomplished it. He is the one sustaining He is the one allowing us that we take possession of all of God's promises. Not because we're good. Not because we can do it. But because He did it. And He will make sure that all will be fulfilled in our lives also. So to end our time together, just turn your Bibles to chapter 4 of Hebrews. To read partially the text that we read in this service. As a final exhortation. The author of this letter. Is reflecting on Psalm 95. And in Genesis 2. Concerning God's rest. And at some point he makes. This observation. See from verse 8 and following. So Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 8 and following. And he says. For if Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken of another day later on. Just a quick note of clarification here. The author to the Hebrews is not doubting. That they actually achieved rest in Joshua. As the word of God says. He is not doubting God's word. He is just saying. You see the type of rest that Joshua achieved in those times. That's not the rest that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a perfect rest. I'm talking about a final rest. I'm talking about that day when Jesus will return, consummate all of the promises of God, and suffering will be no more. Difficulty and pain will be no more, and sin will be no more. It's not the rest that Joshua achieved. It's a much better rest. 
So it's not doubting God's words. It's just taking it forward to better promises as we read in the book of Hebrews. And then we read in verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is a reference to Genesis 2. And then the exhortation, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. And now here comes an exhortation. Verses that we know so well, but don't detach them from their context. Because now it comes the part that we are called to believe in God's promises. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. To whom we must give an account. So brothers and sisters... Let us therefore strive to enter that rest in assurance, not because you are good, not because you don't feel the tension between the promises of God and its fulfillment, but because God is trustworthy and Jesus achieved salvation for you. So if in the times of Joshua, they were able to say, Joshua 21, 43, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and they settled there. Remember, the people of Israel were not able to keep the land because of their sin. But in Christ, we have a much greater promise. Our Lord promised a place for us and he guarantees it. You see, in the times of Joshua... We read in 2144 that the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. But remember brothers and sisters because of their sin, because of Israel's sin they did have struggle. Go and read the next book, Judges. And you will see the consequences of sin. And that their enemies were still prevailing against them. However, brothers and sisters. In Christ, all our enemies are conquered. Not because we are sustained in our strength. But because Jesus accomplished on the cross. He conquered even death. Brothers and sisters, there will come a day. Which together with all the people of God of all times and of all places. We will also affirm these words together. Not one of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All come to pass. Brothers and sisters there will come a day. That as the people of God. We will join together the voices. Of all believers, of all times, of all ages, of all places. And we will say, God is faithful. He fulfilled all his promises. The grass withers. The flower fades. 
but the words of our God will stand forever. Amen.